Amen, everybody. So I'm Jeff. If I haven't met you yet, it's nice to kind of meet you. Feel free to come up and say hey after, before, during, whatever. Actually, don't come up during. That'd be weird. <laughs> hey, well, it's good to see you. I uh, hope your week's gone well. Um, I also am a, uh, one of the campus pastors of this student club, like Kristen. And uh, we have started out our quarter together this school year talking about the way of Jesus. Uh, we are looking at uh, what following Jesus is like and thinking through what it means to follow him in college now in, you know, fall 2018. Uh, last Friday, we talked about how the way of Jesus begins with being loved. And it's, it's one of my, the fav- my favorite things that are true about Christianity. I have a plaque next to my bed that has the verse that we talked about. Uh, kind of like, like you know those, those wood-burning pens? I've got a plaque next to my bed that says, You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Next to my bed. It's like one of the most important things in, in my life. That's truth that Jesus has said, spoken over me. And it's true for all of us. That when God looks at you, the first thing he sees is someone he loves. No matter what. Before you've ever done anything, good or evil, you are loved first. Now, however... In light of that, that is completely true, but there's also a myth out there that God's love for us means that he's soft on evil. And it's important that we're clear, just because God loves me and everyone around me, that does not mean that he's always pleased with my choices, by how I treat people, by my past or present actions that hurt the other people that he also loves. Right? Scripture says that every human being who's ever lived, lives now and ever will live, every human being is a God-designed look-alike. Uh, the, the, the term the Scripture uses for that is an image of God. In other words, we were all created, we were all designed to be a part of God's family. We were created to be his kids. Now, these are my kids. I've got a picture of them for you. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I brought my oldest with me here tonight. Owen is here. He wanted to come to CCF, see the college students in action, see what dad's up to, keep me in line. No promises. Um, and, and some of you have heard me say this before, but the fastest way to get on my good side is to love my kids. I love raising my kids in a college ministry environment. You guys are so nice to my kids. Love it. Fastest way to get on my bad side, mess with my kids. You mess with my kids, and we are going to have words. Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. (laughs) I think my campus pastor just threatened me. And here's the deal. I'm just a human father. I've got all these flaws and issues and shortcomings and, yeah. How much more do you think God, the perfect father, feels about his kids? So, as we encounter the way of Jesus, as we try to follow God around in a world full of people he loves, we realize that we're stuck in two realities. Two things are true. One, we are loved by God as his sons and daughters, who, who he loves before we could ever do anything, good or bad. And we are also perpetrators 
of all sorts of wickedness against other people that God loves. You and I have done things that mess with God's kids, haven't we? I mean, let's be real. You ever lose your temper and lash out at somebody? I have. Owen knows I have. You ever fool around sexually with someone you didn't have any intentions of staying true to? You ever been a jerk or a cheat or a bully? You ever get drunk? Getting drunk makes you unsafe for yourself and for the people around you. That's why God says don't do it. And I could go on with a lot more examples, right? We could have spent all night talking about all the bad things that maybe some of us in this room have done. My list would take up most of the time. Let's be real. Because, yeah, we've all done things that have hurt or endangered or wronged ourselves or the people around us. Which means we've hurt God's image bearers. And sometimes we do this, and we're not even aware that we're doing it. We might even think we're doing the right thing. But when we listen closely to God about it, we realize we had it wrong. The Bible calls this problem, this dilemma. The Bible calls this problem the problem of sin. And sin is an old-fashioned word, but it's central to our understanding the way of Jesus. So it could use some freshening up. So to do that, we're going to watch a short video put together by a group called The Bible Project. I highly recommend them. You can look up their kind of five to seven minute videos on YouTube for yourself. They have like intro animation videos for every book of the Bible. They cover different themes across scripture. They also do word studies for different words that are common in the scriptures. And so tonight we're going to look at the word study that they do on the word sin. And after it's over, you're going to talk to your neighbor about it. So that same person you had a fun time talking during family time, you're going to talk to them about your impressions of that video, what it made you think, what, it, what, it, what, it, what, it, what you think about it, what, it uh, what questions it raised for you, or I kind of disagreed with that part, or that was really interesting, okay? So get ready to engage with the video, all right? So let's kill the lights, and, uh, and we'll watch this video. Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are, and that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate, because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin? This is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hare and not chata. That is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chata your way, miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. 
You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, and the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so, sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security, in his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, chata is crouching at the door, it wants you. But you can rule over it. So in these stories, sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet, he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others, and he died for their sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to our sins and live to do what is right. And that's the story behind the biblical word for sin. Okay, we can get the lights and pause the, 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 the video. Um, turn to the person next to you and just process that a little bit. What was that like for you watching that? What, what's, what sparked in your mind? Go ahead and talk to each other a little bit. Okay. All right. Thanks, you guys.
So, keep the concepts of the problem of sin from that video in your mind, because I want us to look at a story now from early in the ministry of Jesus when he was just starting to show his disciples the way to follow him, okay? Um, I met a freshman last week during family time named Kavana. I'm going to invite her up. I've asked her to read the scripture for us tonight. Come on up, sister. Thanks for helping me out. Kavana, tell us where you're from and which core you're plugged in with. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. What was the question again? Yeah, where you're from. <laughs> where you're from oh. and what core you're okay. plugged in with. Um, well, my name's Kavana Reeves. I am from Washington. And I am in the Higginson core. <laughs> All right. Can you read for us? Oh. Oh, oh. Thing there. You want me to hold it for you? You got it? All right. I think I got it. Okay. Um, well, I'm reading to you today Mark chapter 2, one, <coughs> 1 through 12. Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered. <laughs> oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's try Capernaum. That'll work. Yep. Okay, the, the, people, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he reached and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bring, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried him carried by four of them. Since they, since they could, not get to him, him, could not get him to Jesus the, because of the crowd, they made an opening through, they made an opening through it and then lowered the, the mat of the man the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some, te- some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow, fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, "What are you thinking? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth for to forgive sins." So he said to the man, "I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home." He got up, took his mat and walked out of the walked out and Full view of them all. The, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kivana. I appreciate that. I love that story. And there's a lot in there uh, about how important it is to have good friends who can carry you to Jesus. Go to Fall Retreat. I'm not sure what I think about trashing somebody's roof to get medical attention, but okay. But uh, there are a few things that I want to zoom in on from this story. The first one has come from verse 8. The first thing that's worth paying attention to. Jesus knows what's in your heart. We cannot hide stuff from him, friends. Jesus knows. He knows what's in your past. Jesus saw what you did. 
and why you did it. He's completely aware of every wicked thing you've ever done to one of his sons or his daughters, and that includes whatever you might have done to yourself. You cannot hide it from him, so don't try. He can read your mind. And your past is an open book to him. So he knows it. And now you know he knows it. So you might as well deal with it together. Second thing we see from this story, and this is the most jarring part of the story for me, this paralyzed man and his friends go to great lengths to fix his legs, right? I mean, they climb up on somebody's roof, which if you can imagine, doing that with a guy on a stretcher has got to be tricky. <laughs> Even if there's stairs or something, you've got to be careful you don't dump him off. And then you open up someone's ceiling from the outside, I wonder how long this took. I imagine Jesus sitting and, you know, preaching the word inside the house. And everybody hears thumping and scuffling over their heads. And then debris starts, like, dusting down on them. <laughs> What's going on? And pretty soon chunks of ceiling rubble are, like, clunking down on people's heads. And then the sun's in your eyes. But it really shouldn't be because you're inside a house. And then, like some alien ship descending... Down drops this crippled man lowered by ropes through a hole. And he gets to Jesus. Finally, this paralyzed man who wants to be healed makes it to Jesus, the healer. And Jesus says, I forgive you. What? I can imagine the dudes on the roof. Oh, shoot, that's not what we came for. (laughs) Who knows what the paralyzed guy is thinking. Um, thank you, my legs, right? But here's the deal. Here's why this matters. Remember the video. Remember the problem of sin. If the Bible is true, then every human on earth, whether you know it or not, has a significant problem with sin. And Jesus looks at this paralyzed man in front of him and knows that walking is not this guy's biggest problem. And Jesus wants everyone in that room, and tonight everyone in this room who's reading this story, to know that sin is actually humanity's biggest problem. And the third thing this story tells us about the way of Jesus makes all the difference. It's interesting to note that both the religious experts and Jesus know that only God can forgive sins. God forgiving sins is not a revolutionary idea to Israel. They're very familiar with temporal sacrifice, celebratory rituals. There's all kinds of things that you can study on your own time that are fascinating about how God has set up a system for his people to take care of this problem of sin, at least temporarily, so that they can be close with God. That's not what's new that only God can forgive sins. Jesus also knows and lives out in front of these people that he is the exact representation of God on earth. Therefore, Jesus says to these religious experts and to us tonight, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Friends, I wonder if, if your consciences have been a little pricked tonight. 
Maybe you're hearing for the very first time that you have a problem with sin. That's okay. College is a great time to figure that out. Or maybe you've been walking the way of Jesus for a long time, but you know that you still sin. You know that you still need Jesus to forgive you for it. You may have been saved a long time ago, and now, hallelujah, sin does not jeopardize that. But you still sin. And you still need Jesus to forgive you on the daily for it, right? Jesus wants to say to all of us, when we are confronted with the problem we opened with, that we are profoundly loved by God, but that we sin against people who God also profoundly loves, Jesus offers a solution. Jesus has authority on earth to forgive your sins and mine. It's important to remember the very end of that video. Jesus says this with authority because he knew that he was going to carry our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus would have anticipated for me to be able to say this to this paralyzed man. I know what that means later. For this to work, for this to be true, for me to say, I forgive you to this man who can't walk in front of me, I know what that will cost me later. And I'll say it anyway. And I'll keep that authority to forgive sins because I know what I'm about to go through. Carrying our sins in his body on the cross. Following Jesus means taking seriously our problem of sin, which knocks us off the way of Jesus. And taking seriously Jesus' solution to the problem of sin inside of us. So when Peter, the disciple who wrote those words, first truly encountered Jesus, he was struck with the reality that the biggest problem in his life was his sin. He sees Jesus perform a miracle after he had had no, no like he had, this is never going to happen. Yeah, right. Boom, it happens. And his response is, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He is suddenly aware of the contrast between himself and the person standing in front of him. But Jesus says, don't worry, that is no longer going to be a problem for me. The fact that you are a sinful man. When Paul, one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, reflects on his encounter with Jesus, he writes this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So kind of whatever comes next is a big deal, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, Paul says, if Jesus can deal with my sin, he can deal with anybody's sin. Paul was an anti-Christian terrorist committed to blowing up the Jesus movement. And Jesus says, actually, I'm going to send you to be a missionary for my name. And Paul eventually says, yes, sir. (laughs) Throughout the New Testament, throughout church history, testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have decided to follow the way of Jesus, all the way up until tonight, when people encounter Jesus and are invited to follow him, the first thing Jesus wants to deal with is our sin. Of course he would. He loves us. He wants to destroy the things that are killing us. He came that we might have life 
abundantly. So of course he would want to deal with the personal and social cancer that poisons the good life he has for us as we follow him on his way. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, another of Jesus' disciples can write, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, nah, sin's not my thing, yeah, you, you're kind of, yeah, good luck with that one, buddy. Convince yourself of that. It's not true. But if we confess our sins, if we admit, Lord, what I did is super wrong and I'm so sorry. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why we as a community in CCF, we who are trying to follow Jesus on his way, we are invited to be a community of the forgiven. So we can just be real here. You can be honest in your cores. We don't have to pretend to have it all together. We don't have to keep up any appearances. That's why we have instructions in the book of James that say, confess your sins even to each other so that you can be healed. We don't have to hide from each other anymore. If you're struggling with sin, tell somebody about it that you trust. No one in this community can honestly say, yeah, I don't relate with that. I've never struggled with sin before. No. Confess your sin to Jesus, and he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins because he already died for them. And in the community of God's people, confess to someone you trust. There is something so freeing, so healing, as James writes, about confessing our sins to each other so that another person can say out loud what God says in your heart. Thank you for your confession. I forgive you. You are forgiven. The way of Jesus starts at being loved and moves very quickly to now let's deal with what's destroying you because I love you. Let's get this out of your life. Sin is a choice to do what we want to do, not what Jesus wants us to do. It's the opposite of following. Sin will knock us off the way of Jesus. So Jesus has to deal with that up front. Forgiveness is how we get back on. It's also how we start, by the way. So if you decide you want to follow Jesus tonight for the very first time, then confess your sins to him. Tell him what you've done. He's here. You don't even have to say it out loud because he can read your mind, remember? Just tell him. But whether you're new to this or have been following for a long time, tonight I want to give us a chance to acknowledge our sins to Jesus who is faithful and just to forgive us because of what he did for us on that cross. Um, it's totally possible that some raunchy stuff has already happened these first few weeks since you got to college. I want to give you a chance to let Jesus deal with that tonight. To forgive you. Or maybe there's a secret sin you've been carrying with you since high school that you need Jesus to forgive you for and free you from. Tonight's the night. Or maybe you've been around here for a while, but you're like, yeah, Jeff, stop talking now. I need to confess some stuff to Jesus. Get out of the way. Here's how we're going to do that. If you've got something you need to confess to Jesus, I invite you to write it down on a piece of paper. 
If you don't have one, we got one for you, and it's bright pink. You can't miss it. I invite you to write it down. And, as the, and worship team, you can come up and get ready. And they're just going to jam for a couple minutes after I stop talking. And I want you to reflect a little bit and write down what you need to be forgiven for. And worship team, you guys serve us so well. If you need to do business with God on a pink piece of paper, you take that time to do it. We'll deal without an instrument or two if we need to. Okay? It's for you guys too. Then after you do that, while we sing, I want to invite you to come down and rip up that piece of paper right here. I want you to throw it away right at the foot of the cross, right where it can be dealt with, where Jesus took the effects of sin onto himself so you could be free from it. And after you do that, I want to recommend something else to you. Confess your sin to someone you trust in this room so you can be healed. I know it's brave. I know it takes guts to do. But it'll free you. It'll heal you to say it out loud to another person. If you would like to do that, we will have our pastoral staff posted up all around the room to pray for you. Some folks up front, some folks in the back. I'll be down here on my left. Come confess your sins to someone that your heart may be healed and you can receive the truth that you are forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has the authority to forgive you. Here's the last thing. It's totally possible that the Lord hasn't brought any significant sin to mind for you. That is completely fine. You're living with a clean slate. Maybe you have a regular practice of confession with Jesus and with your brothers or sisters, so you and him are good at keeping short accounts. Hallelujah. I don't want you to try to come up with something tonight, okay? But I bet there's someone else in your life who needs to hear this. I bet you know someone who needs to hear that Jesus has the authority to forgive their sins. That he can offer them a clean slate at life and wash the guilt and shame away for what they've done. Would you write that person's name down on that bright pink piece of paper? And just keep that paper to yourself. Because that's someone that Jesus wants you to reach out to with this good news. That they can be forgiven. So I'm going to pray for us. And while the worship team jams, you reflect in your hearts. Ask Jesus, what do, you want, what, what, what do we need to do business about? Or who do I need to tell this amazing news that there's a God who would rather take the consequence of this sin instead of it going on the person who did it and forgive them? Then when we start singing, come rip that sin up into tiny little pieces at the foot of the cross and leave it here. Because the way of Jesus means following the one who has authority to forgive our sins. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're a pro. Spirit of Jesus with us. You are a professional at touching the corners and dark places in our hearts. So Lord, I pray you would convict us of our sins so that we can be healed so that we can be free. I pray that people would take the brave step of confessing to someone they trust, whether it's the person they're sitting next to, who brought them tonight, or to a pastor, those of us around the room. God, I pray 
that because of this truth tonight, there would be people who are not in this room who hear the good news that they can be forgiven because somebody wrote their name down. Said, hey, I need to tell you this amazing news. You can be forgiven. Lord, we trust you with this time as we reflect and let you speak to us. In Jesus' name.